Uh, man, some exciting things going on around here. Um, so excited about um, that. And yeah, man, please, if you can, uh, fill this out. I know we got a lot of stuff for y'all fill out lately, but man, it, it's coming down. It's really coming down. Our goal, as you know, is to be in our new building by Easter. So it's crunch time and uh, we need everybody on deck, all hands on deck. And so we need you to fill this out. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night, as you heard, again, I just want to reiterate that we'll be up at the church, the new building on County Road 12, and uh, we'll be working. We got a lot of stuff to do, and we're making a lot of headway. We had a great time last night. We uh, had uh, a men's free steak night, and uh, let me just say this. The steak was good, but even the fellowship was better. Had 80 guys show up last night. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little hot up here, Caleb. Appreciate it. Um, listen, um, it was great, and uh, I just want to tell you, ladies, y'all got some great men uh, that uh, that love the Lord around here, and uh, they're serving the Lord. They want more of God, and we're just. I, I grew up in a church, and nothing. I just hear my heart. I'm not trying to be mean, but I grew up in a church, and and there were a lot more women than there were men. Come on now, and uh, I'm glad to be a part of a church where. The men have risen up, and they're taking their place, and they're, they're trying to be the men of God that God has called them to be. Aren't you? Give the men a hand. Come on. Awesome. Well, good. Well, a lot of great stuff, like I said, is happening. I just want to just say this, uh, small group signups as well over there at the table. They'll start next week. They'll be, next Sunday will be the beginning of small groups. You want to get a part of that, be a part of that. It's a lot of fun. It's great to build community. And uh, what we have found during this entire uh, virus situation that we've been experiencing, you've experienced this last year, one of the things we've come to realize, more importantly than anything else, is small groups, is fellowship, is community, is loving God together. And um, I'm just so thankful for that. And so you want to check those out. We've got a lot of them uh, going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. And lastly, um, we have, uh, we mentioned it last week during our Vision Sunday, an uh, this is what we're going to call it. We have now a micro campus, a micro campus there at the RV park, and they had their first service last week. They had 48 people show up at the service. Come on. Isn't that awesome? 48 people show up at the service, and six people received Christ. Come on now. Yeah. So... So yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen down the road? Micro campuses all over the place, and uh, we'll just we'll just enjoy God's goodness and um, and uh, there's you know listen you got to be innovative right you got there's so many ways to reach people for Christ and so you just got to be open to what that looks like and so I'm glad to be a part of a people that are willing to take risks and chances that's a lot of fun. Well, I don't know if you heard about the 84 year old he was fishing out in his boat out in the lake and is amongst some lily pads and. He heard this voice and said, uh, pick me up, pick me up. And he looked around, he couldn't see anything, couldn't see anybody. He's like, what in the world? It must be daydreaming, I don't know what's happening. So he just kept on fishing here, pick me up. And he looked down, there was a little frog on a lily pad. Pick me up, kiss me, and I'll become a princess. He was, what? So he picked it picked up the little frog and put it in the shirt pocket. And the little frog said, hey, what are you doing? Kiss me and I'll become your princess. He said to the little frog, he goes, listen, at this age, I'd just rather have a talking frog. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't need anything like that. <laughs> 
Thaddeusly to talking frog. Hey, listen, have you ever been uh, given an assignment and wondered if you could pull it off? Uh, you given some. Have you ever been asked to do something, given a job to do, and wondered, I don't even know if I'm qualified to do this? Or maybe on the flip side, you've been asked to do something, you're like, yes, I have this, I can do this, I got this. I think a lot of us have all been in those kind of situations in our life. I I know the pressure comes sometimes, for, and expectations come upon us, and we sometimes wonder, do I really have what it takes to get this thing done. I, I remember working, as you may have heard me refer to this from time to time, my, in co- Bible college I, I had a job working for a, um, a bank uh, in New Orleans, and, and they had a processing center out on the east edge of town. And I would go back and forth downtown to the, to the banks and run down different banks and just pick up things. But but when I was being hired, the uh, gentleman that was hiring me said, now listen, you can be late on some of your runs and pickups and things like that from time to time, but there's one run that you cannot be late on. He said, it's the five o'clock run. And when you go to the processing center and pick up your stuff, you're going to be heading back downtown to the processing center, process, um, downtown to the FDIC. When you get to the FDIC, our paperwork and all that stuff has to be to them by 5 o'clock. You understand that? I said, yes, sir. He says, I'm telling you, you got to be there by 5 o'clock. I said, yes, sir. He goes, now, if you're not there by 5 o'clock, they will fine us $1,000 a minute. Do you know what that means to you? That means you may not have a job. So you're going to have to find a way to get to that place no matter what it takes. There's no excuses. Bridge being out, car wreck, car don't run, car on fire. It don't matter. That stuff's got to get to that bank. You got to figure out how to get it there by five o'clock. Do you understand that? Are you ready for this job? About about that time, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm ready for this job. I mean, have you ever been in that situation? I I don't know if I got what it takes. And and uh, and so I I said, well, I can do this. Yes, sir, I can do this. And and boy, let me tell you something. I learned how to drive like speed racer in New Orleans, Louisiana. I really, seriously, I, I became like this crazy, seriously, I, I really should have got a job, you know, driving a race car at Indianapolis 500 or something after that job. In fact, my mom came to, came to visit me uh, during that time when I worked at that job. And um, I, I just had become crazy when it came to driving because I was so used to the pressure of this job. And uh, I said, Mom, you want to go downtown? She goes, sure. So I took her downtown. And I, I, I didn't take off my, you know, work hat. I just had my work hat still on, I guess, you know, in my mind. And I'm, I'm weaving in and out. of tra- I'm going around the shoulder. I'm doing all those things that I had to do all the time for this job. And she, she, she was about to bust me up the chops. You know, so she's, she was about to put a number on me. And she finally, she, she couldn't handle anymore. She's over there with white knuckles holding on like this. She goes, slow this thing down now. And so, so I realized that I, I, there was, there, this thing had gotten to me. I, I, was, uh, I was messed up. But I, I believe um, that God doesn't give us assignments while at the same time not expecting us to fulfill those assignments. Come on now. You wouldn't ask your child to do something and expect them to fail all the time at doing it. You give them challenges that you feel they're up to and that they can do. We're going to start a little mini-series called Turf Wars, and 
came across this term I remembered back in this and dating myself back in the 60s. There was a book written called The Cross and the Switchblade. How many have ever seen that movie or read the book? Look at you. I'm, I'm amongst some, some folks here that are a little older. <laughs> and and uh, it was a, the star character was a guy, it was a really a story about Nicky Cruz, who was a, he lived in New York City, and he was a, he was a gang member, he was a gang leader. And, and I was a little country boy reading this book, and, and as a little child, and I, I would never even understood there was a thing called gangs, and, 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 and I never understood there was a thing called turf wars, and that in New York City, these gangs would get together, and they would have little fights and kill one another gang against gang, you know, fighting over turf, over territory of that city. And it was an amazing book and really an eye-opener. But I began to think that even in the spiritual dimension, I mean, no, there's a turf war going on. Let me just kind of give you maybe the background of that turf war where it all started. It actually started 6,000 years ago. And there was a guy named Adam and a lady named Eve. And I found out last night from at the snake night that the whole Adam and Eve could have, thing could have been avoided if God had created Adam and Eve to be Cajuns because they would have just ate the snake and there would have never been a problem. <laughs> I didn't know that until last night. <laughs> but they were Cajuns, and so, you know, they ate the fruit, and so here we go, you know. But God had a plan when he started that whole process to begin with. He had a plan, and, 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 and it started during that process, and, and then Adam lost the plan. He failed at that plan. And, and, and then Jesus came along 6,000 years later, and he came out of the tomb and was resurrected. And then he had a conversation with his disciples, and, and he ascended into heaven after he gave his, his orders unto his disciples. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts chapter 2 on a group of people, 120 in fact, in an upper room seeking the Lord for his power and for his presence. And when the Holy Spirit fell like a mighty rushing wind with tongues of fire looks like upon their heads, suddenly, guess what? The turf war started again. The turf war started again. I mean, I'm going to use a text this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 28. Many people refer to this as the Great Commission. Let me just read this, verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they, were, they worshiped him. And some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now the implication from this conversation is that he's about to make a transference of this authority now unto the disciples. So he says to them, Now you, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we don't call this the great suggestion. We don't call this the great hope, so. We don't call this the great hope you can possibly do this. We call this the great commission because it's the mandate, it's the last orders, if you would, from the commander-in-chief of the heavenly armies, Jesus, that he gave to us as 
his children, his people, his church. This word commission really, it's not in the Bible, but the word commission, which we refer to this passage to, literally means to authorize someone to do something. So you've been authorized. You've been deputized. We've all been deputized by the, by the Lord. In reality, we have been given, get this, we have been given authority to wreck this world for Jesus' sake. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. I, I thought you all were up and awake. We, we have been given authority to wreck this world for the sake of Jesus. The problem is that most Christians feel they're defeated. They live defeated. They, they feel like it's just a matter of just holding on. I remember the, the, the sweet old ladies in the church I grew up in, they, they said, uh, JP, just hold on. We're just holding on until Jesus comes back. We're just holding on. And, and, and I'm like, well, how long do you hold? You know, and, and what's the purpose of holding on? If all we're doing is just holding on, it's, I, I feel defeated already. And many people don't even recognize that they have authority in this earth. And they live a defeated life. They go about their days just doing their time, saying they're a Christian, holding on until Jesus comes. But he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come to this earth. Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So there's a mandate that's been placed upon all of us there's an expectation, if you will, by God, by the Lord, that we're to rise up and we're to be this incredible spiritual entity in the earth that is, can't be dealt with any other way by someone that doesn't know the Lord. He expected us to perceive what God wanted to do. He expected us to live as spiritual warriors with the task of redeeming the world. He expected us to grasp the vision, to reclaim the earth, if you would, and to begin to make moves and in ways into the world and begin to redeem mankind. That's what he did. Now, Jesus... This is encouraging for some of you. And I had to remind myself of this recently. That Jesus really wasn't interested in politics because he knew that the governments come and go. The government, in fact, that he was dealing with in that time isn't even in existence anymore. It, was, it didn't last much longer after he passed away. Now, I'm a, give, me a give me a disclaimer. I am all about being a voice in the political arena. I believe we should be involved in politics. I believe we should be a voice for the unborn. I believe that we must protect our culture's Judeo-Christian values. But at the same time, I have to remind myself that, that you know, Jesus himself didn't allow himself to get caught up in who was the king or the emperor at that time. He wasn't caught up in, you know, getting involved in preaching sermons about, you know, unjust laws and you didn't see passages of Scripture him talking about taxes and immigration or health care. He had no, 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 nothing to do with that. In fact, some, uh, some people really got angry at him, and, and, and they, they even followed him because they believed that he was going to be some kind of a governmental leader of their time. 
He had some, even disciples that were called zealots. And zealots in that time were people that were just, had a political agenda to overthrow the Roman government and bring in the Jewish government. And, and so the, Jesus had these people in his midst and, 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 he, and he worked with them, but he came to set up a government or a kingdom that was on a whole different level than what people thought you had to be on to get things done in the earth. Now, yes, we got to get involved in politics. Yes, we got we to gotta, we gotta be in there and we got to be a voice. But our hope will never be in the political arena. Listen, you will get discouraged. You'll throw down your sword. You'll walk away if you think that's our only hope. There's a bigger hope, a bigger government, a bigger kingdom, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has something greater to offer. He's like, why am I going to talk to you about taxes and immigration and all that kind of... Let me t-. He said, like, let me tell you something. There is something so much greater. It's called the kingdom of God. He was consumed with the power of God hitting the earth through his people called the Christians that it made the political systems bow down in, 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 in reference to his kingdom that was coming to the earth. In fact, he would say this in Isaiah. Isaiah would say this prophetically about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He's the one that rules it ultimately. He rules the earth. He rules the kings. He lifts kings up. He pulls kings down. He's the great God. Shoulders. What is the shoulder? Is that part of your body that you lift and you carry things and you bear burdens. And, and, and the, the, the Bible tells us and we're encouraged that Jesus uh, has a government and on his government, on his shoulders, uh, he'll carry the weight of the world. I want to talk about that this morning. What is this, this, this thing, this weight of the world that's carried on his shoulders that only he can carry? That a president can't carry, a prime minister can't carry, a Shah can't carry, a, a, a Dalai Lama can't carry. What is this type of a kingdom that he's talking about? We're going to talk about that for just a minute because he didn't come to the earth just so we could hold on to the end. He came to the earth not for us to expect just to squeak, squeak by through life, barely making it to birth a defeated church and to allow Satan to run wild on the earth. No, he has bigger plans than that. Let's talk about this great commission for just a second. Just give, us, so give you some insights. Number one, insights into our commission. God's only had one plan from the very beginning of time. Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, livestock, wild, over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, God gave Adam a mandate in the first chapter of the Bible, and it was to administrate, to rule, to direct, to organize, and to begin to oversee all that was going on in the earth. But when Adam fell, he didn't lose heaven because heaven was never his. What he lost was the kingdom. He lost the kingdom that had given, been given to him to rule and to reign over, to administrate, to call the shots. He's the one that named all the animals. He's the one that declared this is going to go there, that's going to go over here. And he, he began to organize all that God had put him in the midst of that garden. 
And in God's mind, there was no plan B in case this didn't work out. When Adam fell in the garden and now chose to do his own thing and go his own way, God didn't go, I'll be dog. I didn't see that one happen. I wonder what we're going to, Peter, y'all got any ideas? What are we going to do now? Somebody got, any angels got some ideas? What, what are we going to do? There was no plan, there was no plan B. The, the, God's only had one plan, and that was for us, as his delegated authority individuals in the earth, to administrate and to direct what happened in this world called the earth. And so it started with a tree, right? Didn't it all in the garden start with a tree? Is it any accident that God said, well, you know what? We're going to restart this whole process again. 4,000 years later, after Adam and Eve had fell, then Jesus comes along and he begins to reignite plan A, or the only plan. And so he goes and he does what? He realizes that a tree caused all the problems, so Jesus did what? He hangs on a tree and redeems the tree, in a sense. He redeems that the whole problem. Is it an accident that Jesus, when, when he decided to reveal himself again, showed up in a garden, a garden where Adam had fallen? A tree and a garden, and Jesus de- redeemed it all. And basically what he was saying through the process of his resurrection and death uh, was this. Hey guys, guess what? You're going to restore the kingdom. Plan A is back in process. Plan A is being reignited. We're going back to plan A. And Adam, what you lost, I've come to restore. Adam, what you lost in the, in the, in the garden, I've come to cause you now to, as disciples, to tend to this earth to welcome this earth, to determine what it's going to look like and decide what you're going to do in this earth. God came and restored plan A to us. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I, I, you know, some people just want to just, they just can't wait for the, the, the earth just to go away and burn up and all that, but it's His. The earth is the Lord's. And he's called us to to become people that recognize our authority in the earth. Number two, all Jesus preached after the resurrection was the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convicting proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. He didn't talk about miracles. Hey, guys, let me talk to you about miracles. Let's talk about deliverance. Let's talk about religion. Let's talk about, you know, healing. Let's talk about, you know, angels. So let's talk about supernatural beings. Uh, no, he's had one message after he was resurrected, and his message was the kingdom of God, the authority now that he was granting us into the earth. We are his subjects, he's the king, and his, this is his domain, his kingdom, his king domain. And we are now living in a new set of laws that he has now implemented into the earth. Number three, we know about the Great Commission that Jesus told the disciples to go and preach the kingdom. He told them, this is what I want you to preach about. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, as you go. 
proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. We preach about everything else than that. We preach about peace, joy. We preach about finances. We preach about living a stress-free life. We, live, we preach about uh, you know, all, all sorts of other subjects. But we, we hear very little subjects or topics or sermons or messages about the very thing that Jesus told the disciples to go talk about. When you go and you're talking to people, talk to them about this kingdom. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those that have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely you must give. In fact, in one translation, the King James, it says, go and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not just near, but is at hand. Everybody put your hand out like this. Everybody. Now turn your hand, go like this, and say, hello kingdom. What does this mean? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everywhere you're, you go and your hand touches, every person that you talk to, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's right now. That's why he could say to them, when you go and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that means you're going to come across people that are sick. You're going to come across people that have demons. You're going to come across people that uh, need a touch from God. And so you represent me as a kingdom subject. And so you now go and with your hand and your voice and your life, you speak into that situation and you cause those things that are not as though they are. You turn this thing around because I'm giving you delegated authority. You are kingdom people. I thought I'd get someone to be a little more excited than that. But see, see when, you are, when, you, when you live your life understanding this, everything is not a challenge, it's not a mountain, it's not an obstacle. It becomes an opportunity for God to do something miraculous. We have one duty, and that is to administrate the kingdom of God. What is this kingdom, pastor, that you're talking about? Well, I would say it's several things. Number one, I would say it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. Romans 14, 17 makes it very clear that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not something in the natural. It's not, it's not some natural kingdom. It's not, it, it, it doesn't have you know, physical entities to it. It's not, that's not the kind of kingdom we're talking about. It's the kingdom of God is, a, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's rightness. It's being right with God. It's living with contentment and living with joy and expectation in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's how you recognize someone who is a delegate of the kingdom of God because they live with the sense of righteousness. I'm right with God. There's no shame. There's no guilt. I, I'm guilt-free. I, I live with confidence that God is with me. I, I, I'm, I've died to my flesh. I'm living unto Christ. I, and there's a sense of the peace of God in my life. I, I live with this peace, this contentment, this rest. I, I'm not all stressed out and anxious all the time. I know that God's got it in control. And that brings to me a joy in my life and a and I, there's an exuberance about living. I, I don't live depressed and discouraged. I'm, not, I'm, I'm jumping out of the bed ready for the next assignment. This is the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. 
It's a lifestyle. And it is also something else. The kingdom is something that's within me. It's right inside of me. Luke 17, verse 20, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because they're looking for a, 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 a physical kingdom, a, a governmental in a natural type of thing, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that, you can, be, that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, it's a position, not a place. It's a manifestation, not a location. It's the display of a character change that has taken place inside of your life. That's the kingdom of God. It's not a place we go to, but a person we live as. It's a complete understanding that it is I that no longer lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. This is the kingdom of God. And everywhere you go with you, that understanding, you carry with you the kingdom of God. Come on. You can go into Walmart pushing your little buggy and the kingdom of God is walking down Walmart in the aisle. You can walk into Piggly Wiggly and the kingdom of God is walking down Piggly Wiggly. You can go into Target or wherever you want to, Publix, wherever you want to go. Wherever you go, you carry the kingdom of God. And whoever you talk to, you might as well say, hey, listen, sweetheart, the kingdom of God is at hand right here, right now. It's talking to you. I got something to say. Come on now. So how is this thing manifested? It's manifested when you catch the revelation that wherever you go, God himself goes. We've likened it to his ambassadors. You're ambassadors of Christ. There's all sorts of ways you can can look at this thing, but but God is manifesting this thing through you. In fact, Romans chapter 8 reminds us, verse 18 and 19, that I consider our present sufferings is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in, in us. Now get this, for the creation, all, what is it like? for all, ever, all your friends, all your neighbors are waiting in eager expectation of God or the children of God to be revealed. In another translation, the modern English version says, all of creation is in eager expectation of the creation as it waits for the appearance of the sons of God. They're, the people, they are waiting for something to show up in their midst that they can grab a hold of and go, this is real. There's, this doesn't bring me hope. This doesn't bring me life. This doesn't bring me joy. This doesn't bring me contentment. And all of creation, every, say it like this, every time you go to work, every time you walk into town, every time you go on vacation, all the people you rub shoulders with, the vast majority are looking around waiting for somebody to show up and say, do you have the answer? Do you have the answer? Do you have hope? Do you have joy? Is, do you have purpose? Is there somebody in this service? They can give me a reason to live. They're waiting with eager expectation. Somebody give me an answer to this dilemma that I live in every day. And you 
are the righteousness of the Lord. You are the kingdom delegated authority in the earth. And yet we walk around with our head down and our shoulders down like we're nobody, that we're a failure, that we're weak. And if Jesus were to show up in this building, he would walk around and give you high fives and chest bumps and say, get up off of your holy unrighteousness, come on, and do something for God. See, when you start looking in the mirror and start seeing the beauty of God that's within you, then you will start being a kingdom delegate. We forget what we look like. James makes it very clear. He says, anyone who listens to the word the mirror, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, the word, the word see, and you see Christ in you. You read this and you see Christ in me. You see this, you see a new, a, a new, a new person. You see a resurrected heart and life in you. And yet you walk away and you immediately Forget what you look like. <laughs> so, yeah. my wife, when I got married, I didn't really have one of these things. I had just a big mirror and it's all I needed. But my wife, and like all the other ladies probably in this house, she gets together and she has this little mirror. And she does these things in the mirror that I'm sure all women do these little processes that she goes through, as she says, putting her face on. And she does these things, because uh, I, I don't have it, but she does this, you know, like this. One day I walked in, I said, what are, you, what, are, what are you doing? She goes, I'm teasing my hair. I said, well, let me do that. I can tease it. You know, you don't need to do all this. I can just make fun of it right now. She's like, I'll oh, get out of here. She'll tease her hair, get all, she'll do all this kind of stuff. She'll spray some spray on it. Is this okay? It's all right. <laughs> I think they all do it. I think it's not just you. All right. I think I'm a, hope, I hope I get to eat this week. I really do. And she'll do all this kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, get it all, you know. And I, I imagine she, after doing all this and we're walking out the door and she's like, hold, hold, hold on. What, what? I got to go back. I don't know if I fixed my hair. I'm like, what? Oh, oh yeah, I guess, I guess it's all fixed. All right, are you ready to go? Yes, yes, let's go, all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what now? What? I don't know if I put any mascara on. I go check, I check and say I put a mascara. I got mascara. Oh, what's that? Okay, okay, good. Okay. Is that mascara? I don't even know what it is. What is, what is it? I don't even know what stuff is that women wear. You know, just a bunch of stuff. I mean, I do it too. I, 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 I walk out of the, of the house and it'll be gone five minutes. I come back in, she'll say, forgot your contacts? Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> it's just a thing. That goes. This is the kind of life we live. We, 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 for, we, we forget that we've been touched by a supernatural gift. This is weird, preaching to myself. I just, <laughs> What are you saying? 
we, we look into a mirror. We look into the Word of God. And he reminds us over and over and over, this is what you look like. This is who you are. You redeemed, you bought with the price, you're forgiven, you're set free, you're healed. You're the head, you're not the tail. You're the first, not the last. We read it, we go, yeah, oh, that's good, that's good. We walk into work, and our boss balls us out for something, we did or didn't do, and we go, oh, I'm such a worm. I'm a nobody. Oh, we don't want to talk to nobody. We're all depressed, scared we're going to lose our job. We're all mad at everybody else. We come home mad. What happened? We woke up looking to who we were, but then we suddenly forgot who we were. You can't, you got to know who you are and keep that in your head and your heart and your spirit. Am I talking to somebody this morning? I'm going to put this right over here because that's a little weird. <laughs> this word forget, it means to lose a thought. That's what it means. You, just, you, just lo you lost your thought. And so the Lord says, it's time to remember. I'm going to have a worship team come this morning. And uh, as we get ready to close, I feel turf wars begin when God's people realize who they are. I don't know about you, but I, I'm tired of forgetting who I am. I, I, want, I want it to be branded in my spirit, into my heart, into my life in such a powerful way that no matter what happens around me, like, I can be like Jesus and I can rise up and in the midst of a storm and just Speak peace to the storm. It doesn't affect who I am. What's going on doesn't affect, doesn't affect what I do. We are kingdom delegates. And we're in a war. But really it's not even a war because we've won. And we're so much more equipped and more powerful and favored by God. Have I ever told you all the story of uh, the Golden Heights tank commander? Have I ever shared that with you all? See, I, I've told this story, I think it was maybe as a small group, so I, I'm going to share this story. But I've got to make this point, because I, I, didn't, I didn't know if I should say it like this or not, but I didn't know else, how else to say it. But, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. But I really believe it's time that the, the kingdom of God is shoved down Satan's throat. That's what, that's what I believe. I mean, I know that's a little, that sounds rough, but it's, it's true. In fact, in fact, in the book of, of, of Matthew, it says, I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, you're Peter, but on this rock, Jesus, he says, upon me, this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Amen. Now, now, now listen, that's not, Something that you, you don't wake up in the morning going, oh my goodness, you'll never believe what happened. I almost got run over by a gate. <laughs> I was on my way home from work and a gate of hell just jumped out in front of me and almost crashed my car. Gates <laughs> are not offensive weapons. They're meant to stave off an enemy. And what he's saying is, that the church, when it realizes who they are, 
and the power that lies within them, then even the gates of hell that are trying to hold back the church can't prevail against the church that is advancing with such power. So yes, it's time that we shove the kingdom of God down Satan's throat. Yeah, it is time. So I, I, was, I was visiting Israel years ago and the, one of the most incredible stories, we went to the Golan Heights, the northern part of Israel, right there nestled against Syria. And there was a little museum there and, and we walked down into the bunkers there as looked down into Syria and all these kind of things. And they told us this incredible story, true story. He said, the Syrians have been coming back and forth up to, for the last nine months, up to the lines with their tanks and all that kind of stuff and doing maneuvers and things like that and, and staying for a few days and then withdrawing and going back. And they come and, and they do some maneuvers and then they go back. They were doing this on purpose, now we wouldn't realize, to lure Israel to sleep over and over and over to come up to the front lines and intimidate. And Israel would just stay put and just watch. But this one particular, after nine months, it's, it was actually, I believe, on the Yom, eve of Yom Kippur, October 6, 1973, one of the tank commanders was out watching the maneuvers. They were out again. But this particular time, they had taken off the camouflage nets off the tanks. And they were doing some different kinds of maneuvering. And the commander said, went back to the headquarters there in the Golan Heights and said, listen, they're, they're about to attack. They're about to attack us. And and, and, and he said, we, we got to radio this into our, our, our nation's headquarters and tell them now we're, we're about to be attacked by Syria. So they radioed in uh, to the national headquarters and said, we're about to be attacked. We believe Syria is seriously going to attack us this time. It's not, a, it's not some kind of a charade. They're not doing some kind of exercise. This is a real deal. They're about to die. No, no, no. They know better than that. We, we beat them back at the Six-Day War back in 67. There's no way they're going to attack. No, no, you're just seeing things. He calls back in. I'm not kidding. They're about to attack. Oh, just, just stay put. Everything's fine. It was on young, he, he, it was young Kipper was the, the national day of fasting and prayer. And, and most every, it's a national holiday and everybody is at home. They're not even working. But this British tank commander knew they were about to be attacked. So he took his tank uh, leaders and he said, come with me. He said, we are about to be attacked. It would be 1,200 tanks that would eventually come after them against their 200. He said, we're about to be attacked and no one's believing us, but I'm telling you it's about to happen. He said, come with me. He said, when they come against us, we will have to retreat. But my question to you is, how far will we retreat? And so he walked with them 100 yards. Will you stop here? No, sir. 200 yards, will you stop here? No, sir. They walked about a quarter of a mile to a dirt road. 
That dirt road led down into the Sea of Galilee and eventually to Jerusalem. He said, you know, if they, if they get to this road, then it's all over, right? He said, will you stop and make a stand here? And they said, yes, sir. We'll make a stand here. He said, all right. And sure enough, sure enough, they were attacked the next day. And they held them off long enough, but still the reserves hadn't arrived. And, and so just as the man said, they were repelled. Syrians had night gla laser glasses, and Israel had none. They had, Israel had better tanks, but they didn't have night goggles. And now they were pushed back, and, and they couldn't even see who they were fighting against. And, and they went back to that road, and they stopped at the road. And the commander says to all the other tank men, he says, are you ready to attack? Are you going to... Are we going to make our stand and now attack them? And there was silence on the phone. They said, nothing. No, 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 no. We're not. We can't. There, there's too many. We're just too many. We can't. We can't even see them. He goes, listen, look at them. They're fighting like heroes, and we're a bunch of chickens. Come on. Let's go and give the enemy the battle. And they said, no, we can't. He says, fine. I'll go myself. He told his guys, he told his guy, go, go. And so he went by himself and supernaturally, not even seeing these tanks with really much vision, he shot a tank down, explodes, shoots another tank, it explodes. And all the guys behind are watching him take on the series and blowing them up. And they said, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they charged up that hill. And they wiped out them guys, and they began to dismantle. By the time it got done, it's called, it's called the, uh, the War of Tears. By the time they got done with the Syrian tanks, it was just a graveyard of tanks laying all over the place. And that man became a hero because he said, somebody's got to take the battle to the enemy instead of going like this the whole time. You were born to be a winner. You were born to rise up and be a kingdom delegate in the earth. Come on, church, rise to your feet with me. You were born to take the battle to the enemy. You were born to see miracles. You were born to see signs. You were born to see wonders. I will believe that. I will believe that for the rest of my life. I will pray for the sick to be healed. I will pray for the dead to rise. I will pray for those demons, demonic, and field people to be delivered. I will do that because he said do that. Well, man, you're being really risky, man. You're being, you can't live for Jesus and not take risks. You got to take it to the enemy. I want to ask this question this morning. How many here? I want the altar team to come. Please, altar team, come quickly to the front. How many here would say, Pastor, I need a miracle in my body. I need healing in my body. Raise your hand. Come on. I need a miracle in my body. Come on. Amen. 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 We're going to see God do miracles today. We are filled. We got anointing oil. I want you to keep your hands open. Up, please. Keep them up. I'm giving you an assignment, okay, come on, altar team, go. I want you to go begin to lay hands on those with their hands lifted up. Come on, let's go. Altar team, let's begin to see miracles take place. Come on, let's begin to go. They're going to come and they're going to lay hands on you. They're going to anoint you with oil, as the book of James says. If any sick among you, let them be called and prayed for and anointed oil be laid upon them. We're going to see God begin to do signs and wonders in the earth. Come on, church. 
This is the day. This is the hour. This is the time. This is the moment. No retreats. Come on, begin to pray right now. Shut your hands out to those people whose hands are lifted up. Say, God, heal them. Touch them right now in Jesus' name. God, do a miracle right here. Do it right now, oh God. Do it, Lord Jesus. Father, we're praising you and thanking you for miracles, Lord God. Thank you for signs and wonders, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Lord God. We're going to believe you, Lord God, for supernatural. We're going to believe you, Lord God, to be able to see what you saw, Lord Jesus, in the earth. Lord, you said, Lord God, we would be able to do greater things than you had done. It's going to happen. It's happening now, Father God. Father, drive out cancers. Drive out arthritis. Drive out tumors. Drive out diagnoses even of a doctor. Lord Jesus, come and heal the sick. Father, come. Asthma, in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of the Lord. Heart issues. Father, be solved. Be healed. In the name of the Lord. Miracles, signs, and wonders. You are a healing God. You are a healing God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. We believe you, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. You desire to do healing. You desire to do signs and wonders and miracles in the earth. You are the God of miracles, Lord. You are the God of miracles, Lord. Yes, Father God.
tell you about something and you're going to be like you know what something's going to come up inside you and you're going to be like you know what I, I represent another kingdom now there's not going to be music going on there won't be angels playing violins it's going to be you and you're going to go hey, can, I, can I pray for you and let's see let's believe God for a miracle right here and, 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 and let me tell you something people will not turn you down people don't turn you down for that they, they're like Yes, please. And they're going to let you pray for them. And you're going to pray and you're going to believe God. And we're going to see God begin to do things. Listen, what happens if they're not healed? What happens if it doesn't happen? What happens? You know, go to the next person, pray for them. What if it doesn't happen with them? We go to the next person, pray with them. <laughs> Sometimes we get so caught up in what God doesn't do that we don't get caught up in what God has done. You know, there's a story in the Bible about the pool of Bethesda, and there's thousands, hundreds of people around this pool waiting to be healed. And Jesus healed one person. And they were healed, they were cleansed, they were made whole, and people could have said, what about all the people that weren't healed? Well, what about the one that was healed? You know, some, you know what I'm saying? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta remember that, 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 that we gotta keep our focus on just being obedient and letting God do it, the miracle. The fact is, you can't do a miracle anyway. It has to be God. It's His grace flowing through you. That's all it is. It's just a, it's just a gift that He's given you to give to them. You're just a messenger. Someone this past Christmas came up and they said, here's a $100 bill. I want you to give it to somebody you feel you need to give it to. God will show you. I'm like, all right, I can do that. In fact, I like doing that. And I just walked around, had that thing in my pocket for several days, and I ran into somebody. I'm like, I, this is the person right here. I slipped out this little $100 bill. I gave it to him. They said, thank you. Thank you. I said, I, I have nothing to do with it. They go, no, no, thank you. I said, no. Someone gave it to me to give to you. I'm just the messenger. I'm just giving you the $100. I'm giving you the blessing. I'm just, I'm just the hand. Just move through my hands. It didn't come from me. I mean, no miracles don't come from you. You don't, you don't conjure up a miracle. You don't conjure up some kind of, oh, I got to see God. Oh, 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 miracle. No. It's just God's given me faith to believe. And so I'm just going to pass that on to you. And we're going to watch God do something. And when it, ha when it happens, you don't take any credit. When it doesn't happen, you don't take any credit. Come on, you're just a messenger. 
and just keep on moving and keep on moving and keep on moving. Is that good? Is that okay, church? Amen? We received that today? I received that too. I, 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 I was ministered myself this morning. I really was. We love you so much. We're so thankful for you, who you are in the house. Patrick's going to come and dismiss us with a prayer, but before he does, if you were touched by the Lord, listen, sometimes, listen, even Jesus had to pray for one guy who was blind two times. You would think Jesus never prayed for him by twice. He prayed for a guy who was blind. He goes, hey, how's it look? He goes, I see people are like trees. I don't know. Jesus goes, let's do this again. Come on. I'm glad he did it. And the second time, he's like, yeah, I see. I think you need to act on your prayer. Faith says, okay, I have some back issues, but you know what? I'm going to just kind of bend anyway. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, I know I I can't do this this morning, but I'm going to try. I know my arm was hurt. So I'm just going to start lifting my arm. I'm going to I'm going to keep doing this, and I'm going to keep claiming my healing. How many know you got to walk in what you believe? You got to walk in what you believe. Let me help you out. A miracle is instantaneous, and everybody thinks that's the way it should be, but healing takes time. Healing is the process. So you just got to you got to give it some process and walk in faith. You just keep believing. This is happening. This is happening. God's healed me. God's touched me. Amen. Well, we love you so much. Don't forget, sign those cards. Put them in the giving box on your way out. We're going to be having work nights, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We're looking forward to seeing you. Patrick, would you mind praying for us? Absolutely. Come on, you thankful for that message today? Come on, happy believe we have a new king. Amen? Amen. Before we go, just want to say the blessing together. Let's put this up. Say this with me. Say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Come on, we're believing that for you, the church this week. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.